Galatians 3, uh, verses 23 through chapter 4, verse 7. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Uh, so today, Pastor Sam is actually uh, out. I think he's in California. So we have the honor of welcoming uh, Pastor Jim Kirk to share the message with us. He comes from uh, New York, but prior to that, he uh, was ordained in uh, Westchester. Uh, I'm sorry, Westminster uh, Theological Sem- Seminary, and he has a wife and three children. And after that, he's going to uh, University of Wisconsin to start a church there. So let's welcome him up. And I didn't really plan it this way, but my theme today fits pretty well with uh, Father's Day as we consider this, this amazing passage uh, from Galatians uh, that tells us, this, tells us that the spirit of Christ cries out in the hearts of Christians, Abba, Father. Uh, a few years ago, I read a classic novel that quickly became one of my, my favorite books. It was Anna Karenina by uh, Leo Tolstoy. I don't know if anyone here has read it, but if you don't know the story, the novel is about this woman, Anna Karenina, that's the, the title of the book, uh, who has everything a, a wealthy privileged woman could want in 19th century Russia. Uh, she, she moves in the best circles. She attends great parties with friends. Uh, she has a, a husband who, who may not be the most handsome uh, guy around, but he's devoted to her. And she has a son uh, whom she just adores. Uh, but as the story goes on, you, you discover that she is really such a, a tragic character. Uh, She gives everything that she has up for this passionate love affair uh, with an exciting and and handsome army officer uh, named Vronsky. And after this affair has been going on for some time, one day it begins to dawn on Anna that Vronsky is falling out of love uh, with her. And here's here's how Tolstoy describes her in this moment. He says, And though she felt sure that his love for her was waning, there was nothing she could do. She could not in any way alter her relations to him. Just as before, 
Only by love and by charm could she keep him. And so just as before, only by being occupied during the day and taking morphine at night, could she stifle the fearful thought of what would be if he ceased to love her. Anna's become a slave to Vronsky's love. And the, the irony is that the same thing that she thought would make her more fulfilled has actually made her more fearful, more inhibited, more escapist. The love for which she was willing to sacrifice everything is now crushing her. Now, you may not be a romantic like uh, Anna Karenina, but I think we all have this kind of experience in different kinds of ways, uh, perhaps more than we would like to admit. It may focus on a person, but it might just as easily be a career that we've sacrificed to achieve that, that now leaves us feeling empty, or perhaps you had dreams for your family life that have not gone as you hoped, and it just, it just nags at you that life has not gone the way you expected. Or perhaps it's some other disappointment that just fills you with, with bitterness. Whatever this experience looks like for you, over and over again, uh, we find ourselves drawn to something that feels so good. It, 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 it seems so life-changing. And oftentimes we put that thing at the center of our lives, but in the end we find it only leads to a dead end. And sometimes we go through life you know, moving from one thing to another, repeatedly looking for the person or the success or the experience that will finally fulfill us. Well, in the passage we heard today in uh, Galatians, the Apostle Paul describes this experience as a kind of spiritual slavery, being enslaved by what he calls the, the elemental spiritual forces of the world, or as it was put in our our translation in the bulletin, the, the elementary principles of the world, enslaved to these things. At the heart of the Christian life, he says, is a new freedom because of what God has done through Jesus. And Paul uses a number of images to describe this, being freed from a custody under a guardian, putting on new clothing, receiving an inheritance, But what I want to focus on today is what Paul says in chapter 4, in verses 4 to 7, where he describes salvation as adoption into God's family. Notice the the parallels in in these verses, in verses uh, 4 and 6. There's an agent, God, a person sent, the Son or the, the Spirit, and both are sent to do something. to to redeem that we might receive adoption, and to cry out in our hearts, Abba, Father. So what does freedom from spiritual slavery look like for a Christian? The three things I'd like us to see today. In the gospel, Christians are given a new status. They're given a new experience and a new family. So let's look at each one of these. First, Christians are given a new status. Paul says that Christians have received adoption to sonship because of what Jesus has done for them. What does it mean to be God's adopted child? This language of sonship, uh, literally uh, given the son status, it's a very intentional language, but it doesn't have anything to do with privileging men. 
Uh, Paul is perfectly capable of applying female imagery to believers and to the church as well. For example, in his second letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 11, he describes the church there as a kind of bride of Christ. But here it's a, a son. And to have the status of son in the ancient world was something very special. It was a position of, of rights and, and privileges that belonged to just a small minority in uh, the ancient world. And Paul says that in God's family, there, there's, there's a similar place of, of highest privilege and status, but it belongs to, to all Christians. Not just men, but anyone who's put their faith in Christ. Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free men and women. Christians, he, he says, share an identity that goes deeper than, than race or class or gender. Their deepest identity, uh, as people made in the, in the image of God, is, is found in relationship with God, as, as his adopted sons and daughters. And this adoption... It, it reveals the, the ultimate purpose of salvation, the, the full story of God's plan to make the world whole. And notice the double purpose for why God sent his son in verses 4 and 5. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. He says that, that Jesus was sent to redeem that we might receive adoption. God's ultimate goal is to welcome those who've been enslaved and estranged under the law into his family as children. With all that that implies, acceptance by the Father, intimacy, unconditional love, but it doesn't happen without redemption. So how do these two things go together to redeem so that we might be adopted? Well, think about what happens when a child is adopted. It's an event that's both legal and relational. There's something that happens in the courtroom and, and then something that happens in, in the family's home. First, the adoptive parents go to a judge who signs the adoption papers and declares that the, the adoption is legally valid. Did they stop then, there? They just simply declare that the, the child now is a part of their family? No, they, they take the child home and, and welcome him or her into the life of the family. And the same thing is true spiritually. In Christ, Christians have the legal basis of their adoption. We were outside the family, condemned and enslaved by the law. But when Jesus goes to the cross, he takes our guilt and shame upon himself so that we might be forgiven and set free. And because of what Jesus has done for us, God declares us not guilty. And this is a, a great truth that we, we celebrate here today, but, but sometimes uh, we think of Christianity only in these negative terms as a debt removed or a guilt forgiven. And here in Galatians, we see that salvation is not less than this, but it's also much, much more. Not just pardon, 
but adoption. Yes, God has declared us not guilty, but he's also signed our adoption papers and welcomed us into the family. So what would it look like for you to go through life really believing that God's starting point with you is always, you are my beloved child whom I love. Do you believe this? Here's here's a question to to ask yourself to sort of check your heart on this this truth today. Uh, As God thinks of you right now, what is the look on his face? Do you picture God as, as disappointed with you? As angry? As indifferent? Is he saying to you, you know, get your act together. Or if only you could do just a little bit more for me, uh, I might smile on you. Here's the thing. The gospel truth is that in Christ... God is deeply satisfied with you. He is overjoyed in you as his adopted son or his his daughter. He delights in you. And there is nothing that you could do to make him love you any more or any less than he does right now today. This brings us to our our second point, because the the fact is that we all struggle with feeling more like orphans and slaves and sons and daughters. Even those of us who have been active Christians for many years, uh, so often we we feel more like orphans and slaves than sons and daughters of the king. And this is exactly why Paul goes on to say in verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. Christians are also given a new experience. They're given a new status, but, but also a new experience of, of God's love. I have uh, three children, and uh, one of the much-loved stories in my family is the, the Anne of Green Gable series about a young orphan girl who's adopted by an aging brother and sister on Prince Edward Island uh, uh, up, in, up in Canada, uh, the, the brother and sister named Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert. Uh, and my family had the opportunity to go up uh, to Prince Edward Island last summer, and we loved visiting the family homestead on which these, these books were based. And for this reason, we've also been excited to watch a new Netflix series that just came out based on the, the Anne of Green Gables uh, stories. It's called Anne uh, with an E. And in the, the second episode of the series, uh, Marilla Cuthbert has, has falsely accused Anne of stealing a, a brooch from her. And despite her brother Matthew's protests, uh, they decide that they have to send Anne back to the orphanage uh, where uh, she came from. But after she leaves... Um, Marilla finds the the brooch, and filled with shame, she sends Matthew chasing after her. And it takes several days, but he eventually catches up with her, and he assures her that they've made a horrible mistake, and they want her to stay and and to return home. 
and she comes back. Uh, but the most, the most moving scene comes at the end, where Marilla and Matthew have decided to make their adoption of Anne official by having her sign their, their family Bible and take their last name, Cuthbert, uh, as her own. And uh, in the, the show, as they stand in front of the Bible, uh, where they've asked Anne to sign, and Anne is speaking with Marilla, and she says this. She says, You want me to be a Cuthbert? A real Cuthbert? I'm going to belong? And Marilla says, uh, we, we hope you like the sound of Anne Shirley Cuthbert. I do. I do very much, but, but I just sign? That's it? Of course. What's the matter? Well, it seems a little perfunctory, don't you think? Perfunctory? Well, shouldn't we hold hands over a running stream or, or pledge ourselves to each other as Cuthberts forever or break our fingers and mingle our blood as a symbol of our lasting devotion? Surely there needs to be a ceremony of some kind in honor of such an auspicious moment. As someone who has never belonged to anyone before, I believe that this is a matter of much solemnity. Don't you? And so Marilla is convinced to bring out a, a raspberry cordial that, that she has, and they have a toast over the, the Bible. And, and afterwards, Anne uh, takes the pen, and she says, I can't believe this is really happening. I don't think I've ever been so excited in my whole life. And my hand is shaking, and, and she signs her name there. And she says, with this pen... I take you, Matthew, and Marilla Cuthbert to be my family forever, to call you mine, and to be yours for always. Such a beautiful picture of the gospel, really, as she's adopted into this family. She doesn't have to do anything but receive her adoption as a gift. Uh, But there is one, one difference. You know, Anne was innocent of any wrongdoing. And we are, we're, we're guilty. And we have not been the people in so many ways that God intends for us to be. But in the fullness of time, God sent his son to redeem us and, and to adopt us. He moved toward us in grace, even when our backs were turned towards him and we were moving away from him. He was moving towards us. As the Anne of Green Gable story develops, especially as this Netflix uh, series, Anne with an E, tells it, it becomes evident that though Anne may have been formally adopted by the Cuthberts, she's experienced years of, of trauma and abuse that prevent her from trusting that she really is accepted. She resists this new identity, this new name that she's been given. She doubts that it could really be true, that that she is accepted. She struggles with shame, and and she often tries to prove herself to her new friends and and family. And I I sort of imagine Anne returning to that family Bible again and again, opening it up to to see her name written there on the page in the, in the Cuthbert family line, perhaps even touching it to assure herself that this really is true, that she really is a part of this family. And it's the same with us and the promises of Scripture. 
God gives us his word and, and his sacraments to, to assure us again and again that the gospel is true that we really do belong, that he has adopted us in Christ. But as Paul tells us in verse 6, God does even more. He sends the spirit of his son into our hearts. You know, many of us believe that, that Jesus was sent on a mission to pay for our sins. But I'm not sure that we believe so often that God loves us this much, that he really desires union and communion with us on a, on a daily basis, and he sent his own spirit to accomplish it. But that's exactly what Paul says here, that God was moving toward us in the work of his son, and that he continues to move towards us in the work of his spirit. The Spirit so unites us to Jesus, Paul says, that we're able to speak to God in the same way that Jesus spoke to his Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out to him, Abba, Father. This is the the only recorded instance that we have of Jesus using this name for God, Abba. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Friends, do you see what this means? God's Spirit is not just with you when things are good. In the light of a beautiful day or or some great accomplishment, God wants you to know the experience of being his beloved child when things are hard. He invites you to cry out to him as Jesus did at the hardest moment in your life. And he promises that the pattern which was true for Jesus, suffering then glory, death then resurrection, that this will also be true for you. And will even be a way to know the Father more intimately and and more personally. The Spirit wants to do this work in you. So what have we seen? We're invited to believe the gospel, that God has justified and adopted us as his children. We're invited to experience the gospel, that the Holy Spirit has been poured into our hearts. Well, there's one final point today. We're, we're also invited to, to live the gospel together. Christians are given a new family. Notice how often Paul uses the first and second person plural. You are all children of God through faith. You are all one in Christ Jesus. When we were underage, we were in slavery. God spent the spirit of his son into our hearts. As Eugene Peterson says, no Christian is an only child. What's important about this? Well, it means that the gospel changes not only how you think about God and yourself, it also changes how you think about other people, especially people who are different than you. Why? Because it means that every brother or sister in the faith 
is someone for whom Christ was willing to give his life. And if Jesus was willing to give his life to die for the person sitting next to you today, no matter who they are, how could you do anything less than, than love them in the, in the same grace-filled way? Jesus himself said, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. But it's not just those inside the church that we're called to love. A a love like this can't be contained. It's always overflowing to others out into the world. Did you notice how how Trinitarian this this passage we read today is? Especially in verses uh, 4 through 7. God sends his son, and he sends the spirit of his son, uh, who cries out in the believer's heart, Father. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are, are integrally connected and related in this work that God is doing. And what, what I love about the, the Christian understanding of the Trinity is that if it's true, it means that God's very essence is this eternal relationship of love between the Father and the Son and the, the Holy Spirit. And this self-giving love is at the very center of reality. And the church is meant to be an expression of this. Let me close with this story today. Uh, the, the NPR show, the, the Moth Radio Hour, it's a, a storytelling show, uh, featured a woman a couple of years ago named Auburn Sandstrom. And Auburn told the story of how she was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan in the early 1990s She was uh, 29 years old, and she was struggling with a a horrible drug addiction. She was in a house uh, late at night, and she was going through withdrawal, and she was folding and unfolding a a, a small piece of paper in her hands. And she described how she was in this very dark and and desperate place. And she would have just gone screaming out of the house, uh, but right behind her, sleeping, was her little baby boy. And she was a person who was raised in comfort and privilege, but she said she was leading a life that would lead to me losing the most precious thing I had in my life. So she had this piece of paper in her hands, and on the paper was a phone number for a Christian counselor that someone had given her. And finally, in the, in the middle of the night, she called, and she said to the person who answered, I got this number. Do you think maybe you could talk to me? she started to talk to this man who answered, and and she she hadn't told anybody the truth, even even herself the truth, in a a very long time. But as she began to talk, uh, talking to this stranger, the, the, the truths just started coming out of her, about the drugs, about her abusive husband, about the guilt and and the shame that she was carrying. And the man on the other end of the line didn't judge her. He just sat with her from, from 2 a.m. until dawn and, and just showed her kindness and, and listened to her. Well, finally, as the, the conversation began to wind up, she said to him, aren't you supposed to be telling me to read some Bible verses or something? Uh, how long have you been a, a Christian counselor exactly? And the man answered, I'm sorry, I have to tell you something. That number you called? Wrong number. Wrong number. 
And she never talked to him again, but this experience was, was life-changing for her. And she said, The next day I experienced something that I've heard called peace that passes understanding. Because I had experienced that there was random love in the universe and that some of it was unconditional and that some of it was for me. And I can't tell you that I got my life together that day, but it became possible. This is what I know. In the deepest, blackest night of despair and anxiety, it only takes a pinhole of light and all of grace can come in. How do you explain an experience like this? Well, if what we've been saying here today is true, it's not, it's not random. It's what we should expect if the gospel is true. If there is a God who is moving towards each one of us in, in self-giving love, who welcomes each one of us into his family to be his sons and his daughters always and forever. There is this love, and, and it's for you today. He invites you to believe it. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray.